Now, back to the Frontier Freedom Hour with Jeff Hunt, sponsored by Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University. Here's Jeff Hunt. Friends, we're talking with McKay Coppin, staff writer of The Atlantic and author of Romney, A Reckoning, out now on Amazon and at a, available at his website too, McKayCoppins.com. I think I originally said that, but I think the website, is it a little different? Is it McKay? It's McKay Alden Coppins. McKay Alden Coppins. There you go. So I want to get that right. McKayAldenCoppins.com, his own website there. So we're his latest book out by the way i think it premiered number three new york times bestseller list it did we just got the news congratulations yeah. that's huge that's thank huge you. thank you so yes. I, unfortunately beat out by britney spears no. I, I couldn't, couldn't beat the britney spears memoir justin but. and justin timberlake too and you know all that drama there <laughs> um so you you follow romney through this kind of political journey that he goes on this personal journey that he goes on and towards the end i'm going my goodness he's he's almost kind of criticizing himself early on in his presidential campaigns where you know he's kind of adjusting his policies in order to win i understand that you've got to win uh, it doesn't matter if you don't win right so uh, you got to win and, and he even acknowledges like his issues on the sanctity of life uh second amendment issues he kind of adjust to get crowd reaction he even mentions that right he's addressing Mm -hmm. what the crowd's going to do but then at the end he says you know as he's reflecting back on his career if you keep on doing things that you know are wrong but politically expedient you can expect over time that instead of people rushing to support all the wonderful things they agreed with that you did they'll turn away from you because they know you have no character what what is Mint coming to terms with as he looks back on his career in your perspective? Well, I think he's grappling with the moral compromises that are inherent to a life in politics, right? Mm-hmm. And he talks a lot with me about things that he regrets, right? The those times that he sort of shaded a position that, you know, maybe uh, took a stance he didn't quite agree with, you know, cozied up to people that he didn't respect, but he needed their, you know, endorsement or support. And, and you know, look, it, it probably won't come as a shock to you or any of your listeners that politics can be an unseemly business, you know. But I think that the thing that drew me to Romney as a subject is that he is actively wrestling with that now. And did so in front of me on the record yeah. for two years of interviews. And that's a pretty unusual thing. And, I, you know, I hope that one of the lessons from this book is that we we should demand more honesty and more integrity from our, our public leaders, mm. right? You know, it, it, I think that we have sometimes internalized a sort of cynicism about politics where we say, well, you know, they're all kind of, they're all sharks or they're all rats, you know, <laughs> choose your animal of choice. But like, we, you know, the, none of them are, uh, none of them are good people. So we just vote for the, the ones that we agree with the most. And I get that, but I actually think that we should expect a certain level of personal decency and integrity from our elected officials. And, you know, Mitt Romney admits that he hasn't always lived up to his highest ideals, but he's trying to now. And I think that, you know, that the the goal should be to get people before they're at the end of their careers to to reckon with those compromises and try to be better. 
The nature of statesmanship. Absolutely. Um, one one part of your book that I particularly admired because I think it it kind of encapsulates what happened to me reading this book. Towards the end, you write, in our two years of interviews, Romney's efforts to process his party evolution and his own were halting and messy. He'd seemed to confess complicity in one meeting and then walk it back in the next. He'd get angry and then cool off. Some days he, he worried he was being too harsh to certain fellow Republicans who weren't entirely bad after all. No one ever is. Later, after reading a draft of the book, he will complain that I made too much of the transformation in the Trump years. So he, you kind of admit, like even personally, he's really kind of pulled in a lot of different directions and he's trying to work through in his mind in a very public way where he lands on all this. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I've, it's funny. I've never been in therapy myself, but people who have say that it sounds like this is like heavy duty therapy, right? <laughs> like you're, he was really trying to answer difficult questions for himself. And I think he deserves credit for trying. Um, but it, it wasn't like a straight line toward perfect enlightenment, you know, right, that it right. really was kind of a difficult, messy process. And it's funny that you say that you have the same experience reading this book. Yeah. Because I, I've heard from a lot of people who say the same thing, you know, they'll read it and at times they're cheering Romney on and they're excited. And at other times they're, they're just like, you know, so frustrated with him. <laughs> and and I, I, I get that. I think that uh, he's a complicated character and a lot of, as a lot of our political leaders are. And my, my aim was just to try to understand him and understand where he was coming from. And I ultimately think it's a redemptive story, but it, it is, uh, you know, it's a complicated one, too. You talk about Anne Romney and the importance that she plays in kind of mm-hmm. centering him. And you even mentioned towards the end of the book the importance of having those people in your life. So my job on the 2012 campaign, in addition to all the coalitions. So coalitions director, think uh, student voters, think women voters, veteran voters. And we're going to host all events. We're going to host little rallies and bring in what are called surrogates to speak to student voters or women voters. And that's kind of your job as the coalitions director. But also part of my job was to pick up every one of uh, his kids at the airport, brief them on the state of the race in Colorado, drive them around. So I got a lot of time with Romney's kids. And I saw this with Santorum, too. These guys have really good families. I don't know if you ran into this. That was kind of your perspective, getting to attend uh, the kind of the family vacations and stuff like that. But these kids are really centered. Uh, They cared about their dad. Mm -hmm. Uh, Politics wasn't their thing. I didn't get the sense that there was kind of an up and comer, a next, you know, a next uh, Mitt Romney waiting in the wings to take on uh, politics. But they did this out of a sense of obligation. They all had their own families, but uh, they they were coming here to support their dad. They did great speaking. They were accessible. None of them were arrogant. I never got that sense from any of his boys that uh, they were you know too good for anybody else. They were very mm-hmm. down to earth. What was your perspective on the family as you got to know them? Well, every summer he has this family reunion with all of his sons and their spouses and their kids at uh, Lake Winnipesaukee in New Hampshire. And they invited me up for one day, uh, uh, one summer to kind of uh, just see that scene, because it, I, I do think it's where Mitt Romney feels most at ease and most, you know, uh, himself. And it's interesting 
You know, I've profiled a lot of powerful people uh, as a journalist, you know, spent time interviewing presidential candidates and senators and CEOs. And, and I have to say, like, a lot of them reached the point in their life and career that Mitt Romney's in now, uh, where they've had big careers and they've made a lot of money and they're, they're famous. And they get into their 60s or 70s and they look around and they realize that, you know, their marriage isn't so good, right? Or they're estranged from their kids. They, and it's because they haven't put in the time to prioritize those relationships. And one thing that became very clear to me as I reported this book and spent time with his family is that he has put in that time, right? He has always prioritized his marriage to Anne. Anne is the most important person in his life. He has prioritized his relationship with his kids and his grandkids. And, and it comes through. They have this, you know, very kind of intimate relationship with each other. And what he told me is that, you know, when I look back on my life, I'm not really at, at the end. I'm not really going to be thinking about the political wins and losses. I'm going to be thinking about my relationship with my wife and my kids and my relationship with God. And I think that he, he for all of his other faults, he has clearly prioritized that and it comes through. Yeah, you get a good sense of his spiritual background, too. And I want to commend you on this as someone who uh, I'm an evangelical uh, during the 2012 campaign. We were working with uh, Focus on mm-hmm. the Family and all those other mm-hmm. uh, organizations in Colorado Springs. And and you do a good job of addressing the concerns that existed. I, I ran into them. Uh, about the the evangelical LDS differences, the theological mm-hmm. differences, and how evangelicals were working to kind of get through that. Um, so I thought you treated that well. You you have an LDS background yourself, and you even mentioned that that you were kind of the LDS reporter in 2012. And even Mitt was <laughs> yeah. a little suspicious of you, but he grew to yeah. kind of support you later. But I, I felt like you did a good job of that. But Mitt. Uh, but you get a good sense of Mitt's spiritual background, everything from the car accident that took place, his mission in France, uh, that experience that had on him, all the way to uh, kind of his development of his younger family, um, how he met Anne, the, the growth of the kids when they were younger. He really has prioritized his family, and I saw it on the campaign. They really do like him. Uh, we're talking with McKay Coppins, staff writer for The Atlantic and author of Romney, A Reckoning, out now on Amazon. When we come back from this commercial break, I want to get to the elephant in the room, which is Mitt Romney and Donald Trump. Uh, Mitt has a lot to say in his book about his feelings about Donald Trump and uh, the 2020 election, 2016-20, and now what's going to be the 2024 election. And so we're talking with the author that has spent time with Mitt Romney diving into all these issues. You're not going to want to miss this when we come back. Friends, this show is sponsored by the Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University. you got to check out CCU, one of the most conservative schools in America, one of the top 10 most conservative schools in America. Go to ccu.edu with all the craziness. And we've been saying it for years, all the craziness happening on college campuses around the world. CCU is a bastion of clarity of thought, a commitment of principle, and strong values. So go to ccu.edu to be a part of the work that's happening at Colorado Christian University. All right, when we come back, McKay Coppins, his new book, Romney, A Reckoning, and Donald Trump. You're not going to want to miss it. You're listening to the Frontier Freedom Hour. We'll be right back.